The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Amplifier Advisors, LLC, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. Hi, I'm Jonathan Aberman. Coming up on today's show. Well, I would say one of the big reasons that we see so much growth in the number of cybersecurity companies in this region is that we found that the talent is here. The, t- the talent exists within Washington, D.C. Cybersecurity has always been in the mind of you know, government agencies like the intelligence agencies. Now these you know, wonderful, talented employees are leaving the government to join these startups and provide exceptional talent. We're seeing more and more people come out with uh, interest in participating in the ecosystem. We're seeing a lot of organizations trying to you know, spin, spin out companies. These organizations are government services contractors who have technology and they're ready to go. Welcome to What's Working in Washington Extra, an opportunity to spend more time taking a deeper look at an issue, an opportunity here in the D.C. region. Cybersecurity is something that many of us talk about. It does drive our regional economy more and more. We're going to talk about what's going on in cybersecurity with three regional experts. Michael Hoffman is with Government CIO Magazine. He's sitting at the crossroads between government and private technology these days more and more. Mike Simon is President and CEO of Kryptonite, a new spin-out. That's up to some really interesting things, very emblematic of the type of entrepreneurship that I see every day and I'm excited about. And a man who's funding a lot of those opportunities is Ron Gula from Gula Tech Adventures, an old friend from the show, and welcoming him back to provide his perspective on how investment trends are shaping the cybersecurity industry. So, folks, thanks for joining me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, sure. Mike Simon, I'll start with you. You've recently spun Kryptonite out of an existing company. That in itself would be newsworthy, but let's just talk about What's going on with Kryptonite and how did it happen? I think it's a great it's a great use case for why this region has really grown fast. Thanks. Um, so Kryptonite started as a uh, spin out of a defense contractor, but the story actually started back in 2010. The government had an idea; they needed to solve a problem with their networks. Their networks were leaking actionable information to hackers. So they started funding research for a defense contractor in Rockville, Maryland. Five years of research, they developed a great technology. I was brought in to spin it out of this Rockville, Maryland company, Intelligent Automation Incorporated. Um, and we got started and started running from there. It's really interesting to me, you know, the concept of spinning out a product come from a service company, that's really hard to do. Ron Gould, I'm gonna to turn to you because with your entrepreneurial experience, this is something you see every day and now you, you're funding companies, I think, including Kryptonite. From an investor perspective, what are the kind of things that make a successful product company a, a possibility out of a government IT company? We want to see a couple of very clear things. One, we want to see a technology that solves a very specific solution. But the second thing we want to see is we want to see a team that knows how to bring a product to market, not just the government market. So with Kryptonite, we were very happy to, to run into them right when they were doing their Series A, and we immediately invested. Uh, it's got a lot of technology that I think is going to be applicable to commercial, to healthcare, and, and to government. And that's the kind of thing we look for. Uh, common mistakes that we do see that we end up not investing in 
are you know people who don't do the spin out correctly maybe the technology is not ready yet you know michael mentioned this was five years of research that the government funded we've actually seen companies funding a uh, technology that's been funded it's not ready that nobody will buy so it's you know just because you have that background doesn't make it a hit uh, we think kryptonite is going to be a hit i want to come back to you on that because i, I want to make sure we talk more about the challenges of actually growing a product company in this region and there, there are many Michael Hoffman, I know from your perspective of CIO Magazine and also uh, working with, with Tandem NSI initiative you and I do together, you see a lot of this interplay now between government funding and, and spin-outs. Do you think there's more of it going on now than there was five years ago? Absolutely. I think it's no secret that the government, especially within the Defense Department, is looking for significant um, investments right now for companies like Kryptonite. And I think Ron Gula has seen that as well. Um, with the expansion there, especially within the Washington, D.C. region. You take a look at the different cybersecurity companies here, and the number keeps growing year after year. And a lot of that has to do with the government funding that is coming uh, about as part of these initiatives and these priorities that each one of the agencies are looking to make. Ron, when you and I were together last year on the show, we talked very much about the, the investment environment here. What are you thinking? How is it looking now? I mean, we identified, when you and I talked a while ago, some significant weaknesses in the ecosystem, lack of of product talent, not as much capital as we might like. That was six or so months ago. How's it looking now? So since we spoke uh, six or seven months ago, we've seen a couple things happen that are you know, part of the ecosystem. We've seen, for example, Allegis Capital is, is locating up to uh, Maple Lawn, uh, Maryland. Uh, it's Bob Ackerman, very active in this part of the data tribe. Uh, and that's, that's one thing. Uh, we're seeing a lot more focus from certain states. I mean, it was a big topic in the Virginia election that just happened. Mm -hmm. uh, back in Maryland, where I'm based, we had uh, Governor Hogan set up the Excel committee to try to enhance cyber uh, in the region as long as, as, long as medical. Uh, I like to think we're having something to do with this at Gula Tech Adventures. You know, we're doing a lot of investing in this area. And we're seeing more and more people come out with uh, interest in participating in the ecosystem. We're seeing a lot of organizations trying to you know, spin, spin out companies. These organizations are government services contractors who have technology and they're ready to go. We get a lot of phone calls and emails saying, hey, we have a technology. How do we do it? How do we bring this out? How do we do that? And then some of the things we talked about six months ago, lack of product managers, lack of CEOs, those are still real issues. But if you've got a good technology, that's the hard part. It's, it's, it's making the decision to bring it to market. We can bring in talent. And, and whether we import it to the region or grow it here, uh, those are solvable problems. I want to encourage more people to start companies with these technologies. That's the big issue. So I'll turn to my two Michaels here and uh, and say, where's the talent coming from? Where are you seeing the talent coming from? Well, I would say uh, one of the big reasons that we see so much growth in the number of cybersecurity companies in this region is that we found that the talent is here. The, the talent exists within Washington, D.C., and that's why you know we have investors like Ron Gula um, coming out and saying, we want to start companies in the Washington, D.C. region. It's not limited to places like Boston or Silicon Valley, where people typically see. And I think Kryptonite, you probably see that even more so firsthand. Yeah, you know what's interesting is we're in a we're in an area where the government has been focusing on cybersecurity for twenty some years. Cybersecurity has always been in the mind of uh, you know government agencies like the intelligence agencies. Now these you know wonderful talented employees are leaving the government to join these startups and provide exceptional talent. We've also found folks that work in this area that have been consulting out to California, and now they've joined our team because they didn't know there were product companies in this area they can join and help. So we're, we're actually really pleased with the talent pool that we're getting at Kryptonite. You know, it's interesting to me, recently, uh, I've been doing a fair bit of work around uh, workforce development. 
was a policy uh, advisor and campaign and also working with the Greater Washington Partnership looking at these issues. And it is interesting to me how large the town pool appears to be for cybersecurity, but yet there seem to be significant market impedance mismatches now. Is what is that? Do you guys see that too? Is is the is one of the biggest issues here is retraining and retooling the people that we already have? Well, if you have a services company that's focused on cybersecurity, you know, 80 to 90 percent of your workforce are cyber ninja warriors, right? Ex-NSA, ex-DOD people, and you have to train them and support them. But if you're a cyber product technology company, you know, cyber expertise, you're, you have a small core. Mm. But what you wrap around that core are, you know, all the important business functions, legal, marketing, sales, you know, building facility managers, accounting, finance. And, and that's where when I think about workforce development, it's not about creating the next, you know, million cyber warriors. It's, it's, we, we, we're not going to be successful doing that. We want to create technology companies to help alleviate some of that need because we're never going to train enough cyber experts. So, Ron, uh, over at, when we were at uh, Tandem Innovation Alliance working on a survey of cybersecurity companies in the region, we found a significant number of services companies in the Washington, D.C. region, but only 5% of those companies around here are product companies. From your pr perspective, what do you see um, as a reason for that? So the big reason is because, you know, if I'm a successful business person and I've got 10 to 15 years of cybersecurity consulting, and it wasn't cyber when they started, but I'm doing that, it's kind of hard to change. But I really am concerned that if we go down the road five more years, 10 more years, there's going to be enough revolutions in cloud computing and, and different ways of, of, uh, of doing network and IT that the traditional business of you know, having an army of cyber consultants is not going to scale in us into the future. You know, that's been my concern as well. Uh, Mike Simon, you've been an entrepreneur here. You've done a lot of really interesting stuff, and we could do the rest of the show about you, but you're a humble guy, so so we won't. But what's your perspective on some of the differences between being a leader of a service-related organization or a product-related organization? Because I'm sure we have listeners that are trying to evaluate that right now and, and doing self-analysis and whether they're suited for one or the other. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, great question. I, I've looked at this quite a bit over the years. A, a services company to me is a company that has natural progressive growth by adding a new customer, by adding a new project, and you just hire additional people for that specific project. So the risk portfolio of the executive team isn't anywhere close to a product company. Someone who's going to lead a product company has to come in with an with really a mentality of tremendous risk, tremendous opportunity, but also bringing entrepreneurs with them that can share in that risk. It's not about a, a CEO or a president of a company just taking it all within themselves and that burden. It's about what Ron talked about. It's the team. It's about acquiring people that have also help startups succeed, also help them uh, be acquired by public companies. It's the team that makes it successful in a product company, even more so than I would say a services company. Hmm. I'm going to shift gears a little bit uh, at the risk of uh, being political, and I don't want this to be political. Under the Obama administration, clearly getting outside innovation was a big thing. You know, we had DIUX, we had all the government agencies were engaging in, in overt activities to get non-traditional innovators in. You had 18F, you had innovation fellows. I'm not seeing the same level of activity and interest in the Trump administration. Am I missing or is it just different now? I guess I would say right now, a lot of those um, agencies, there's a lot of questions like the Defense Department's, um, not, not the services engineer, but the Digital Services Agency, 
whether they would continue to get funding. And the, the question's been answered. They have gotten the funding. Now, the difference I see is the marketing aspect of it. Uh, the Obama administration was really good about going out and doing the outreach necessary to get people excited about these government opportunities. And whether it drives with the politics of some of these tech hubs or not, you just haven't seen the same level of engagement there. But it, the, the matter of fact is that the Trump administration is, in fact, still investing in a lot of these agencies that some people were worried were going to go away, such as 18F uh, in the Digital Defense Service. I think under the Obama administration, you know, we definitely had rise of kind of what happened at Incutel. We had DIUX, we had DHS start a program to do things. And this is really good for startups, but you wouldn't say that that defined the cyber strategy for the for the government. What defined the cyber strategy was basically the NIST cybersecurity framework, uh, cyber hygiene. Uh, with the Trump administration, they've kind of doubled down on that, and they've said, not only are you going to do that, but you need to go to the cloud. You need to accelerate moving to the cloud, which I'm a big supporter of. It's very natural. You know, we are all on the same internet. I'd rather have my stuff placed, you know, defended at a place that's exposed to the internet than trying to do it my, uh, you know, myself. So I'm a big supporter of that strategy. Yeah, one thing I would say is that I'm looking at it from an entrepreneur perspective is what's available? What are the opportunities? Um, we work closely with organizations like DHS. Part of our initial funding from the defense contractor came for DHS. And I haven't seen a lot of change since the Trump administration. The Silicon Valley Innovation Office for DHS is a phenomenal opportunity for startups. Uh, this is connecting, for example, there's a project out on the streets right now connecting the Department of Treasury, DHS, um, and, and, that, that, and the Department of Treasury, I apologize, but all three organizations to give startups the opportunity to take their cyber products into Wall Street. And that's really how the government should be aiding this, uh, this whole area. This is a very nice point to make, which is that, and this may reinforce why cyber is a great opportunity in a region, because the problem ain't going away. It just ain't going away, which is where we're going to turn our attention when we come back after the break. I've been told not so long ago by at least one person on this panel that there may be systems that are just truly unprotectable. And we're going to talk about that after this break on What's Working in Washington next week. A special thanks to our sponsor, Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number one in the D.C. area? Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. They're flexible, involved, responsive, strong, and trusted. Eagle Bank's goal is your success. And we're back on this What's Working in Washington Extra talking about what's going on in cybersecurity. We're joined by Michael Hoffman. He's with Government CIO Magazine. Mike Simon, President and CEO of Kryptonite, which wins the award today for best company name on today's show. Well, maybe not because we also have Ron Gula, the founder of Gula Tech Adventures. So gentlemen, I think the naming is a tie and we'll come back to where we were. Before the break, unprotectable systems. You got my attention when we were talking to the studio before we come in the air. Isn't everything protectable by cybersecurity? No, I, I, I think there's, uh, there's concerns. And I, I have concerns both with legacy systems as well as medical devices and hospitals. If you think about it, some of these systems were created with life cycles of 15 years. Operating systems that are the platforms for these legacy systems and medical devices only get supported for five years. Mm. That means for the majority of life cycle of these legacy systems and or medical devices as one example, uh, the majority of their life cycle, they're vulnerable. They're highly vulnerable to attack. And currently, until Kryptonite, of course, there weren't products 
that can address these vulnerabilities. Ron, it would seem to me that, you know, you hear about stories about missile silos with eight inch floppy disks. I mean, this isn't, it doesn't surprise me, but at the end of the day is, is the real risk, not that we have systems that are hackable because of legacy, but is the real issue that now with the internet of things and interconnectivity, anything can be a, a, a surface into a problem? So the number of things that are hooking into the internet, we always call it the internet of things, it's still the same internet, right? right. It's just exploding. And then the complexity of those things, be they cars or cell phones or Alexa or your DVD, your DVR, the X-ray, we can go on and on and on, medical systems and whatnot, um, it's just exploding. So people who do not have a good sense of what's on their network and not a control of their assets, that's the first part of the NIST cybersecurity framework, they, they fail. And this includes medical devices. And when, when Michael talks about, you know, these are hard to secure, you really have two choices. If you go to patch them, the patch might not be available. These things take years to do. And sometimes the patches are, are disruptive to the, to the supply chain of those vendors. Uh, without throwing anybody on, under the bus, you know, some manufacturers who make dishwashers and, and home products, they actually source those things from 15 or 16 different suppliers. So it's not as simple as perhaps going to Microsoft and just downloading a patch. It takes a long time to do these things. And then if you want to secure your network, and you're realizing that this is a problem, it's difficult to use modern technology to do it, such as firewalls and limiting your network and redesigning it. And this is where kryptonite comes in. You can simply add a layer of protection on that internal, large, crunchy, soft inside of a network and actually get some security for these IoT medical devices. So this is going to be a big, this is going to be a big issue and it's going to grow. I mean, at least Juicero went out of business. I mean, I was really worried I was going to have internet connected juice machines. So at least we know there are <laughs> limits. But it is, a, it is obviously a mind boggling trend. What are some of the things you're seeing right now in, in, uh, in the cybersecurity realm that are going to demand a lot of dollars to fix and may in some ways just be a constant arms race that we're always going to have to invest yeah. in? So there, there's been a couple interesting things happening in this region. Uh, Tenable Network Security just announced a partnership with, uh, with Siemens. And this is actually a big deal because, you know, Siemens is, is one of the companies that, you know, you talk about ICS cybersecurity and, and they have not, um, you know, really embraced. Uh, obviously, they, they think this is a tough problem, but it's more than just coming up with, with a secure thing. As Michael talked about, this, these 15-year life cycles with, with power controls. We've also seen some innovation in this area. Uh, you know, Data Tribe was one of these, these indicator ind incubator investor organizations in this uh, Washington, D.C. region. Uh, they've spun out two companies, uh, Dragos, which specifically focuses on ICS threat detection, as well as Refirm Labs, which actually focuses on vulnerabilities in these specific devices. So there's been a lot of issues in this area, raising awareness and trying to solve problems. We're here What's Working Washington Extra, talking about cybersecurity. Mike Hoffman, what's your perspective on this? Well, I, if you're talking about growth and the opportunities that are there, we actually had uh, Todd Stylemeyer, uh, one of the CEOs over at Nova Health Systems, come over and say this is one of the biggest priorities that they have. In fact, Todd just launched a uh, health accelerator over at Nova to try to get more companies involved in this. And he, he looked specifically at medical systems um, as the ability to protect them as one of the biggest growth areas he sees. And in fact, um, we actually had uh, over at Government CIO Magazine's uh, event a couple weeks ago, we had the CIO from Todd Simpson from the Food and Drug Administration say the same thing. He said this is one of the, if not the top priority, one of the top three priorities over at the FDA to get their arms around this because they see it as a major threat. One thing that strikes me, guys, is that uh, 30 years ago, if you would talk with somebody about national security, national security was, 
it, I would call big iron. You know, it was it was weapon systems, it was the nuclear triad, it was lots of troops fighting on fronts, and it was a public sector activity. I think that where we are right now is national security more and more really has become almost a private sector activity. We're, we're only as safe as our private sector. I see some nodding going on over there. Mike Simon, I'll start with you. I'm not crazy then. No, I don't think you are. In order for us to truly attack the cybersecurity issues, commercial organizations, federal organizations have to start working much closer together. Uh, this, is, this is probably one of the biggest issues. Commercial companies can't be afraid to provide information for their competitors, for the government, to share when they're being attacked, to share what type of attacks are occurring, to share some of the trade secrets they're using to protect themselves. You know, we need to be not even U.S. together. We need to be the world together to address these problems. And it's a challenge. It's not something we've done before. Ron Gould, I definitely saw you nodding on that, too. Well, it's a very difficult question because as a society, we haven't really figured out the best way for the government to help us without totally compromising our business processes and our privacy. Uh, you know, all of the major attacks that we've had today have not caused war. So all the nation states who are coming after the American economy, American secrets, are not necessarily, they're, they're flying right under the radar of whatever would cause a war, which also means that we're sort of on our own, you know, without government help to really defend ourselves. And that's one of the reasons I've been so forward with investing in cybersecurity products, because otherwise we're just we're just going to lose that. And what's interesting <laughs> to me is that so far, when I talk national security, the, the conversation goes to war. I was thinking about it as well from the standpoint, you know, you have Arissa Meyer come out and say, by the way, when we lost that billion credentials, it was the Russians mm -hmm. or or congr you know, congressional committees talking about false or phony news it was the, the Russians or it was the North Koreans with with Sony and who knows was HBO. Uh, Michael Hoffman, I know you spent a lot of time talking with, with government folks. I mean, you know what I'm getting at is that ultimately yeah. it's a backdoor into if, if our economy's harmed, it's still a national security issue. Absolutely. And you know what? That's a big uh, motivator for former uh, Defense Secretary Ash Carter standing up the Defense Innovation Board and providing a better connections between the Pentagon and commercial technology companies. In fact, Eric Schmidt, who heads that Defense Innovation Board and also happens to be the executive chairman at Alphabet, um, he came forth and said, listen, the Pentagon and the U.S. government at, in general isn't set up to keep up with technologies. And that mostly has to do with the acquisition system. There's such a dependence on contractors right now, and they just don't have the system or the policies in place to allow them to keep up and um, innovate fast enough. In fact, he said by tw in a couple of years, I think it was five years, that the Chinese are going to pass us in the development of our artificial intelligence systems. And he warned that as being a considerable national security risk. But it, it does strike me, though, that, that we're at an interesting moment in, in time here where we've identified a problem, but some of it, to my mind, really should fall in corporate America. I was very struck, for example, by Equifax and also Yahoo earlier. It seems like, and Ron, Gul, I know you serve on boards, you were on boards. I've advised boards when I was a corporate lawyer. Boards have a lot of reasons not to disclose when something's happened. How do we create an environment where people actually, to Mike Simon's point, are willing to share information because unless threat information is shared, we're always going to be behind. So for any of the listeners who are on boards, you know, they might be on the board of a public company. They might be on a board advising, you know, private companies. They might be on government agency boards. Those are all completely different types of shareholders and different rules for disclosing things. It's great for, for the security industry to, to espouse points of, wow, we need to share and all learn, much like I talk about with plane crashes. If there's a plane crash, you know, it's not about the, 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 the victims, you know, suing lawyers. It's not about, uh, you know, damages. It's about preventing more plane crashes. 
We don't have that in cybersecurity for a number of reasons. One is we don't have common things. Uh, how, what you consider a server, what you consider data, is completely different than what another board does. So almost every board I talk to, they have no really good context for understanding how secure they are. What I would like to propose is that public companies have to disclose their compliance with the NIST cybersecurity framework. You can go to any government agency, such as SEC, uh, and, and actually read what the Inspector General uh, audited with them with respect to their asset discovery, their protection, all the way through all the phases of the NIST cybersecurity framework without disclosing key technical controls for how you would go about attacking them. But it would allow lay people to understand how do they compare to other people in their business and other people across the country and the world. You know, interestingly enough, if, if they did that, and if the Securities Exchange Commission made that a required disclosure, you immediately create board liability if it doesn't happen. And problem solved? And, and, it's, and it's a way to bring to a high level uh, the light that every consultant incident responder I know, any incident responder who worked with company A, they always say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this company still was using single factor authentication for the remote VPNs. Oh my God, I can't believe these people still have a private data center and no failover, right? To manifest that to the board level, you know, to compare them to other people is very, very difficult. And I want to use the lens of the NIST cybersecurity framework to do that. I agree with that. So we have a couple minutes left together and it's what's working Washington Extra on cyber. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you, if you don't mind, what are you most excited about right now? Where do you see the biggest opportunity? Mike Hoffman, I'll start with you. As you look at the government, and we talked about some of the trends with the Trump administration already, what's the biggest opportunity you see in our region over the next year or so from the government? I got to say the, the incubators. Um, I think uh, Michael already brought it up, the DHS incubator that's coming out forward. And Defense Department is really ramping up with its DIUX initiative. And it, we're, they're finally starting to put real money against that initiative. And I think it's a great opportunity for some of the companies in this region. What about you, Ron? So I, I like to be very positive, and I'm going to be a naysayer. I'm, I'm kind of down on machine learning and artificial intelligence, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Anybody who's going to do machine learning to tell me what's normal on my network and assist a human, I'm all good. But an AI solution is not going to be the answer to cybersecurity. I'm going to come back to you on That's that right. if I have some time. Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I believe that what's headed uh, you know, in this region as well as in the cybersecurity industry in general is a paradigm shift. Uh, right now, we're taking the attitude that we're constantly chasing the attackers, constantly chasing alerts, chasing false positive information that we're receiving. So we're staffing massive amounts of people to investigate that, to remediate that. I think the paradigm change is going to be more of a defensive posture to really improve network infrastructure to solve the problem, not just chase the problem. So I've got about 30 seconds left, Ron, that point about AI is so counter to what I've been hearing from various people. Why do you think that? Well, the concept of training and artificial intelligence to tell me when I'm attacked better. Just thanks for listening get. to What's we Working in Washington. A special thanks to our sponsor, right? Eagle Bank. How do you get to be number detection, one right? in the D.C. area? Understanding your Eagle Bank did it by putting relationships first. And then going into They're detection. flexible, involved, and, and responsive, strong, and trusted. Worth, you know, a lot more Eagle than, Bank's than goal is your success. And that's where I see things. I don't see AI solving those first two problems. And until we solve those first two problems, there's no shortcut to, to preventing attacks. And, you know, yet again, bringing the three of you together in the studio today, it's a great reminder that the big issues that our economy and community country face, they really addressed here in the interplay between government and entrepreneurship. Thanks for joining us in this special What's Working Washington Next. We're talking about cybersecurity. Michael Hoffman, Government CIO Magazine. Mike Simon, President CEO of Kryptonite. And Ron Gula, Gula Tech Adventures. Thanks for joining me today, guys. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to What's Working in Washington. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington. Download this show or any of our weekly programs at federalnewsradio.com. What's Working in Washington, Monday afternoons at 2.30 on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m.